Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Begin reading in a few moments with verse 15. As we think about Thanksgiving, we've been reminded this morning about the many things for which we can be thankful. I think that there's a word that goes along with thanksgiving that just helps us to be more grateful. And I think that word is thankful. Are you thankful? Sometimes we have to think about what we are blessed with before we can be thankful for it. Now, if you look at the book of Colossians, Paul spends some time talking about thankfulness and offering gratitude to God. But before he does that, he tells us about the grace of God. And he tells us about the hope that we have as Christians. And he tells us about the peace that God can give us. And as we read earlier, he tells us about the Lord Jesus. And and because of his coming, because of his sacrifice, he forgives us of our sin. And he reconciles us, puts us right with God so that we can be in a relationship with God. For, For you see, our faith is not about keeping rules and regulations. Our faith is about being in relationship with God. And when we're in that relationship and realize how blessed we are in that relationship, then we can understand what Paul's talking about when he reminds us of thanking God. So we're going to see that here in these verses. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think Paul reminds us here of three things that would be good for us to know when we're thinking about this Thanksgiving season. First of all, he reminds us to be thankful for Christ's peace ruling in our hearts. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Now, What is the peace of Christ? It's the peace that we have when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. For you see, we need that peace. And and the only way we can have peace with God is through Jesus. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, That real inner peace can come only through Jesus as He puts us right with God. For you see, before He puts us right with God, we're God's enemies. We've rejected God. We've rejected His ways. We've broken His commandments. We've been His enemy. But Christ makes it possible for an armistice to be signed. That no longer do we have to be counted as God's enemy. Instead, we can be a friend of God. Instead, we can be a child of God. Instead, we can be at peace with God. Having been justified through putting our faith in Jesus and letting His death on the cross count for us, then we have peace with God. 
So we're to let that peace of God rule in our hearts. It's to rule in our lives. Now the word for rule here is not the kind of word used for the authority of a king or of an elected official. It's more like the authority of a judge or an umpire. Where you see a, a judge or an umpire considers the facts and then he decides which course of action is going to be taken. And so if the peace of God is ruling in our lives, then it's directing how we live our lives. What's going to be the future course of action? You know what happens to us? We let the wrong things rule in our hearts. What rules in your heart? That sometimes anger does. It just takes over. And anger is deciding how you're going to act. Sometimes it's turmoil. You're all stirred up emotionally. And that turmoil is deciding how you're going to act. Sometimes it's fear. And the fear decides. Sometimes it's jealousy. And the jealousy drives us to act in a way that later on we're probably going to regret. Sometimes it's resentment. And it leads us to trying to get even or to bitterness. What rules in your heart? You stop to think why these things are in your heart? How do they get there? Who puts them there? Who lets them stay there? You know what you may need? You may need the forgiveness and cleansing of the Lord Jesus Christ. For when you invite Jesus into your life, then He comes and He establishes His peace to rule so He can clean out the anger and the turmoil and the jealousy and the resentment and all of the other things that just shouldn't be there. That, that's one of the great things about receiving forgiveness because with God, that forgiveness brings the cleansing. And as Tammy brought out in her children's sermon, we may still be damaged, but we're clean in God's sight and valuable to Him. Something else we may need to do, we may need to forgive someone because we haven't forgiven. We've still got that resentment or the bitterness or the anger. And we need to forgive because you're not going to be grateful till you do. So you get to decide. What's going to rule in your heart? Something that you probably really don't want there? Or are you going to let the peace of Christ rule there? When you have the peace of Christ in your heart, you have real inner peace. Listen to what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Get rid of the fear. Get rid of the turmoil and take Christ's peace. Now, how does the world give peace? The world gives peace by absence of hostility. Everything's going just fine. Everything's perfect. So then we have peace. Doesn't happen often, does it? What was the peace of Christ? It was the peace that allowed him to say yes to God when he was facing the cross. And to face it and to go through it with an, a calm that's beyond understanding. That's the peace of Christ. The peace that he can give to us. To have strength even when we're facing the worst imaginable. And know that God is with us. And God is working. And God is going to take what's happening and somehow bring good out of it.
So Paul could write the Philippians and say, and the peace of God which transcends all of understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will stand guard like a sentry over your emotions and over your thoughts. Brings real peace. Let the peace of God also rule in the church. Did you know the peace of God is supposed to be the umpire in the church? You know, you ever get in a tussle in the church and you hear the whistle blow? It's the peace of God trying to get our attention and say, wait a minute, you're about to commit a foul. We are concerned with the peace of God in the church because we're concerned with extending the peace of God to those who don't know about it, who are still enemies of God. And they need to know that God wants to make a treaty with them and say, we can lay down our arms, you can be on my side, I'll accept you, I'll forgive you, you can be mine. People need to know that because they're warring against God and fighting against God and rebelling against God and arguing against God and just not understanding all He wants to do for them and how much He loves them. So we're concerned with peace in the church because we want to extend it to others. We are concerned with peace in the church because we're one body. We're not all the same. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are ears. Some of us are feet. Some of us are hands. Different parts. One body. Should be unity. We are one body. And we're going to have differences. Yeah. It's just, you know, with this crowd of people together, we're not all going to have the same thing. We're going to, you know, have different ideas. We're going to have different ideas about how to do things. We're going to have different, you know, concepts. We're going to think differently. That's all right. We're different. God made us that way. But we need to realize we're one body, and we need to be heading in the direction that Christ is setting for us as a church, as a people of God. This afternoon, the transitional focus team is meeting. And they're meeting with a big task because they're going to be working on helping us look at our vision statement, building mission statement, building bridges to Jesus one heart at a time and saying, are we going to keep it? Is it working fine? Do we need to tweak it? Do we need another one? They're going to be thinking about that. And they're going to be thinking about the vision. Where does God want us to go as a church? And be able to put that in a simple form so we'll understand. Because when we know that, then our differences, instead of tearing us apart, help us to work together toward a common goal. So be in prayer for them today. Because what they're doing has a lot to do with where God is leading this church. And where we are brought closer together because we're hard on His heels following Him. Then verse 16. Paul reminds us to express your gratitude to God. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us. You know, come to take residence there. Live there. Abide there. This word leads to faith. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message comes through the Word of Christ. So that Word of Christ is what leads us to Christ in the first place. So that we understand who He is and what He's doing for us. 
Christ's teaching is to be taken into our lives. It's to be a part of our lives. It's to be implemented there. It's to influence us. It's to influence how we think. It's to influence our attitude. It's to influence our behavior. It's supposed to be in our lives, not just on a page in a book. The Word of Christ is to dwell in us, to be in our lives, to take habitation there. The Word of Christ is to be internalized. We need to read it. Do you only notice this book on Sunday? You need to be reading it. You need to be hearing it preached and taught. All right, you got that one covered. Check that one off. You're here hearing it preached. <laughs> Needs to be studied in groups on your own. It needs to be memorized. What did the psalmist say? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to keep hiding God's word in our heart. We do that through memorizing it. Then we need to think about it. You know, what did that, you know, that sermon, you know, you don't forget it as soon as you walk out the door. What, what did that preacher say about that word? Let me go back and read this again. Oh, it said that. Yeah, maybe I ought to do this. You think about it so that you could apply it to your own life. It's not just something that you hear, you know, walk out the door and forget. It's something that you try to apply. The word of Christ is to be in control. A guest comes to your house. The guest isn't in control. The guest can't decide how to, what color to paint your walls or how to rearrange your furniture. Unless it may be your mother-in-law. I don't know. But generally speaking, you're in control of what takes place in your house. You decide what color to paint the walls and how to arrange the furniture. We let Christ be in control. He decides how we think, how we feel, how we act. We let him be in control. When his word rules, we teach one another. We teach one another the things of the faith. We seek to build up one another. We seek to grow in our understanding because we get together and we share our insights. We teach one another. We admonish one another. Now that's a word we don't hear much, do we? We, we probably put it into practice a little more than we realize. I got, you know, several grandchildren. The two oldest ones are two boys. They're now seven and six. They love to use my leaf blower. You know, that's just, yeah, they come to Pop Pop's house. They really love to use the leaf blower. You know, and so they were out in the driveway uh, last fall, really, and uh, they were using the leaf blower to blow off the driveway, except they wanted to get to the end of the driveway and go about this wide, the whole length of the driveway. And so when they did the next pass, they covered up what they'd already blown off. So I had to say, no, don't do it that way. You've got to go back and forth all the way across the driveway and move it all at once. I was admonishing them. I was telling them how to do it right. Don't do it this way, do it that way. That's what we're supposed to do with each other. Do you know that we as a congregation are responsible for each other's morals and spirituals, spiritual life? Our moral life and our spiritual life. We're to be helping each other. Watch out. Hey, you're thinking about doing that. Have you considered where that might lead? Maybe you ought to think about doing it this way. Listen to what Paul said in verse 28 of chapter 1 of Colossians. We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We're to seek to help each other grow more Christ-like. 
and be more of what He wants us to be. And then we sing with gratitudes in our hearts toward God. Did you notice it said psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? This was written just not many years after Jesus had been crucified and raised. From the beginning, it's evident that the church had different kinds of music. Now, notice something. Gratitude in your hearts to God. Our songs are addressed to God. When the choir sings, you aren't the audience. God is. When you sing a hymn, music director and those of us sitting on the stage, we aren't the audience. God is. Our music, our songs, our praise are addressed to God. We're praising Him. And if we're thankful, what difference does it make if it's a gospel song or a traditional hymn or a contemporary song or a classical oratorio? It's all praise to God. And we're seeking to praise His name. So, variety of music. Use it all. Enjoy it all. Praise God with it all. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Then verse 13. Let your thankfulness be to God the Father. He says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hey, that's a pretty good way to live, isn't it? What's he talking about? To do something in the name of another person is to do something related to the intent of that person. What was Jesus' intent? He wanted to please God. He wanted to do His will. He wanted to bring people to salvation. So you do it in the tent again. And you do it in relationship with that person. You know, we don't do any of this by ourselves. It's in relationship with Jesus and in His power working in our midst. Again, it's the idea of letting Jesus be in control. The best test of any action. Can I do this asking Jesus to help? Think about that. Can I do this? Can I go there? Can I participate in that? Can I spend my time and energy and effort asking Jesus to help me do that? There may be some things that, you yeah, you didn't want Jesus along on that episode. Then you maybe not should be on it either. There's some things that need to be done. Then you can do it with Jesus' help. Test of any word. Can I say it knowing that Jesus will hear it? Sometimes our words are angry words. Sometimes our words are profanity. Sometimes gossip. Sometimes slander. Shouldn't our words be kind? Shouldn't they be instructing? Shouldn't they be encouraging? Shouldn't they be loving? Jesus hears. What do you say and how do you say it? Let Jesus be in control. Be Christ-directed rather than self-directed. Good many of you know who Billy Graham is. Most of you do, I expect. You know, there's a museum up in Charlotte now, Billy Graham Museum. It's got 40,000 feet, and it's got pictures of him when he was a boy. It's got his college yearbook where he wrote in it that he wanted to be an evangelist. It's got the little tiny engagement ring that he gave to Ruth, his wife. You know, it's got, you know, footage of sermon after sermon that he had preached down through the years, exhorting people and encouraging people to accept Christ as Savior. Not too long after it opened, 
Billy Graham went through it. And he said, well, I have just one thing to say. He said, it's too much Billy Graham. He said, I've spent my life seeking to serve God and ordered, honor Jesus, not focusing on me or doing what I want. And that's a good way to live. That's being Christ-directed rather than self-directed. And for way too many of us, it's me and mine and what I want to be or what I want to do. We're letting Jesus be in control. The conclusion? The Christian life is more than seeking to conform to rules and regulations. That's not what it's about. It's lived under the Lordship of Christ. Letting Jesus be Lord. Let Him, Him rule. It's striving to praise God. And when we realize that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father, He made us and He loves us and He blesses us and gives us gift after gift after gift, then we can be grateful. How about it? Are you grateful today? Truly grateful? Grateful to your Heavenly Father? You want to come and just maybe bow here at the front and thank Him? Maybe come and take my hand and say, Preacher, you know, pray a prayer for me. I'm just grateful. Maybe you need to say, I need a Heavenly Father. I need a Savior to reconcile me to God Himself so that He can be my Heavenly Father. And like these did we baptized today, you would come and say, you know, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. And I'll follow Him in baptism, and that'll be the start of my following Him now and for eternity. An invitation to Him this morning. It's number 300, 577.